and salutations, and welcome to Radio Days, a podcast radio program that delves into the world of terrestrial radio. It's DJs and on-air personality, and you, all fans of radio as a medium. Here's your host, Ron. Hello, and welcome to Radio Days, the podcast. Today's show is produced by Ron Robinson Studios. If you need marketing videos, professional photography, headshots, maybe you need drone footage from a licensed drone pilot, head over to ronrobinsonstudios.com. You can also hear previous episodes of Radio Days, the podcast there as well. Um, This podcast can also be heard uh, on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts, among other streaming services. I also want to take a brief moment to give you an update on the movie, uh, Radio Days, 101 Years of Radio. I have one interview left to do. but essentially, I'm in the editing phase, and I hope to have this movie ready to premiere coming this June. If you'd like to help out and become a producer for Radio Days 101 Years of Radio, click on the Patreon or PayPal links at ronrobinsonstudios.com or on the heart icon if you're listening to the Buzzsprout page. Also, I want to thank you for tuning into this podcast. If you are enjoying it, please share it with your friends. And if there's a radio personality or musician that you'd like to hear more about, shoot me an email. At Ron Robbins, excuse me, at Ron at RonRobinsonStudios.com. My guest today has been in the broadcast business since the late 90s. He was the longtime producer for The Handyman Show with Glenn Hagee. He's also uh, worked as a producer and reporter for CBS Radio. And for the last four years uh, now, he's served as a producer at WJR in Detroit. Did I mention that he studied at Wayne State University? So he's got that going for him. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome the star of Mike Parsons' podcast, Whatever Dave. Mr. Dave Rieger, how are you, sir? Good, Ron. Good to talk to you. Good to talk to you. Um, how how are things going at JR these days? Pretty good, you know. Uh, trying to, um, I don't know, do you call it coming out of uh, the pandemic or maybe um, the the end of the the endemic? I'm not really sure what you call it, but maybe, uh, maybe the beginning of the end. I hope. Uh, hard to say, uh, but um, things are going okay at WJR. They've uh, we've got they've gone through some uh, updating of the studios um, at the radio station, so that's kind of uh, cool. Um, all new equipment, uh, very state of the art, and um, you know, uh, just um, you know, doing what we do over there at uh, WJR. You know, I wanted to ask, I had that on my question, but we'll go ahead and talk about it now since you brought it up. You know, I want to ask yeah. I wanted to ask you about the, what's happening on the eighth floor of the Fisher. I was there the last time they renovated uh, the, the, the JR Studios back in 2000 when they moved from the 22nd to the 8th floor. Talk about how much better does the studio look now and how is the station updated from a technology standpoint? It's in, it's it's totally different. Uh, the studios are um, all three radio stations. The, the, the AM and the two FMs are now on the same level where they were before they were on two different levels. The FMs were downstairs on the seventh floor and the AM was up on the eighth floor. And now everybody's up on the eighth floor and uh, all state-of-the-art equipment, all digital. It was very interesting to watch the transformation of this because WJR was analog. Right. And now it's digital. And the amount of wiring <laughs> that was pulled out of from, because everything at WJR runs, uh, either up above the ceiling or underneath the floors to get to the boards from the uh, from the rack room in the back. The amount of wiring was was incredible that was pulled out, and now it's all it's all Cat Five. It's all internet. Everything is everything is internet based now. It's very uh, very cool, um, easy to get to things if things potentially need to be replaced or if things are broken. You know, before it was like very hard to get through all the different wires and everything. Now it's just simple removing of a panel and you can access what you need to fix. It's, it's really cool. That is cool. You know, I, I, before the renovation, you, you were talking about the eighth floor, WJR, WJR was on the eighth floor. And then you had on the other side of the eighth floor, the sales and, and promotions department right. and underneath at seven, you had DVD and 93 one and all those other FM stations. And right. I remember when you would kind of wander down to the seventh floor, you'd be like, "What is, what is the eight, what is the JR guy doing here? How is it? Uh, how are the the AM and FM getting along? Is it is it uh, is it cool or it's got to be neat?" Yeah, to see I mean, you know, uh, now that everybody's back, uh, as far as the talk show hosts and the producers, um, if you remember, JR had essentially two studios up on the eighth floor. So the one studio 
that Paul W. Smith broadcasts out of, which you probably remember, is now the WJR studio. The other studio was is now the F, the two FMs combined. Okay. So the Air Studio, which is where Frank Beckman used to do his show, is now DVD. And then what was the control room for that studio is now the is now the country station. Wow, that's 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 so, pretty cool. Yeah, so all three kind of work together. You know, uh, I also wanted to ask you because uh, you know I was there during the beginning of the pandemic and the lockdown, and I it was just weird going into that big Fisher building. And it was it was almost like a scene out of I Am Legend. You experienced the same thing. How? What? Talk yeah. about from your purview what that was like when when everybody it, everything else in the building was gone except for what you guys were doing. It was so weird. We had I remember we had special um, forms, special papers that came from the government that that allowed us to like drive the car to work. If <laughs> I never got actually asked to show these papers, but I kept them because they were cool. One was that was allowing you to drive to go to work. And the other one was if there was ever a gas shortage, I was able to go to the front of the line to get gas for my vehicle to be able to go to work. Wow. And this was at the beginning of the pandemic. Uh, but it was very weird. You know, the Fisher building um, is, uh, you know, not like it used to be back in the day anyway, you know, but um, yeah, I mean, it was, yeah, we were the only ones that were there um, walking except for the security guards um everything we had to we had to sign in uh at the at the desk they had put plastic up in front of the 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 guard desk and it was just um it was very weird and we were the only ones at the station everybody all the hosts were working remotely a lot of the producers were working remotely but i also do some board hopping and i do some producing so i play i had to go in sometimes and sometimes i worked from home um, the sales staff wasn't there. So it was, it was pretty empty. It was, uh, it was pretty, pretty weird two years. And some, uh, some say that building's kind of haunted. So I must've been kind of eerie. I know it was for me. Yeah. It, it's, uh, it's just, it's an interesting building anyway. I mean, you know, from, from the way that it seems that, you know, the parking structure, the way that I think it was built after the building was built. So like you go, like, for instance, like you park on the 10th floor of the parking structure, but then walk in, go down a flight of stairs to the eighth floor of the Fisher building. Yeah. So it doesn't really make a lot of sense the way that it is set up, but it, but it works, you know, it is just a, it's just a classic, um, you know, classic architecture from back in the day in downtown Detroit. And um, uh, it was, uh, it's starting to pick up a little bit. The Fisher theater is open again. So plays are back. Uh, some of the restaurants and some of the stores are opened again. And we don't have everybody back at the radio station yet, but but a lot of people have returned. That's very, very cool. Well, listen, Dave, I have a lot of questions about your career in radio, but before we start with your career in radio, let's go back in time. Talk about what you were listening to on the radio as a young lad before radio became a, a, an, a, an option for a career. What were you listening to on the radio when you were growing up? You know, um, I listened to a lot of sports when I was growing up. Uh, a lot of uh, I listened to a lot of WJR because back then they had the Tigers and Ernie Harwell and they had the Red Wings, um, and uh, you know just basically um, I listened to ninety six point three back in the day. Um, you know uh, when it was ninety six point three jams and and stuff like that, and uh, it was that was my you know I always thought that radio was just kind of, I don't know, been a, would be like a cool job because it didn't seem like it was your typical nine to five job. And I always wanted to get into something that I thought that I wouldn't be sitting behind a desk necessarily uh, from nine to five. So um, I just always thought it was uh, kind of interesting. Now I know it became relevant way before we came up, but did you have a transistor radio when you were growing up? I didn't really, I didn't have a transistor radio. I, I had an old radio. Well, I remember that only got AM. I remember that when I was young and that was, uh, I used to listen to that. Uh, I used to listen to Tiger games. I remember that, but, um, I had, you know, um, mostly it was just, uh, you know, just your typical, um, FM stations that would play, you know, your, your top 40 hits and, that was about it. I wasn't necessarily uh, into like uh, albums or anything like that. You were a sports uh, guy. You were a sports guy. Weren't you? Sports. I was most. I was really sport. I was really. It was very. I was very sports oriented. My my whole life, very sports oriented. Yeah. 
Now, before we get into your career, I wanted to ask you, you brought uh, the Tiger games up. Working at JR, did you ever get to meet Ernie Harwell, spend some time with him before he passed? So it's, it's funny because so uh, one of my one of the weirder jobs that I had in my life when I was in high school, I had a friend who worked in, in an orthodontic lab. So he worked in the lab for an orthodontist. And what he did was when you get braces, you know, they give you the impressions. They take the impressions of your teeth. He would make the study models. So he got me a job working with him at the at his at that lab in that orthodontist office. And it just so happened that the lady who worked in that lab who made the retainers, she went to the same church as Ernie Harwell. Well, this was right around the time that Harwell had gotten fired by Bolshan Bakler and the Tigers let him go. And it was a big thing. And she and I happened to be working at the high school radio station. She let me know that Ernie Harwell was going to be giving a speech, and this was around, uh, this was over Christmas break at a Christmas uh, service. So I went to the church where she was at and asked Ernie for an interview with my little cassette recorder uh, after the service, and he took me to the back of the church into one of the classrooms, and I talked to him for like a half an hour about his career and getting fired and everything, and then was able to play that on the radio in high school. Uh, so that was pretty cool. That was my one, uh, my first interaction with Ernie. I also interned at WJR in the sports department when I was in college. So I had, I, I had met him a couple of times and, and, and talked with him, but, um, that was pretty cool to, um, to get to talk to Ernie about that whole situation. He was really nice. Always. And I always felt when you talked to Ernie, you were the only one he was talking to. He never got distracted. He always, he always looked you right in the eyes when he was talking. I thought that was cool. Yeah. Um, now let's go, let's go to your career. When and why did you decide to pursue a career in radio? How did that come to be? You know, um, again, uh, in high school, um, I had, uh, you know, worked at the radio station there. I also worked for the TV station at the high school and tried my hand at a little play by play. And again, I always thought it was just pretty cool when I got into college at Wayne state and I got an internship at WJR, I did a, a semester in in news. I did a semester in sports. I was in the booth with Frank Beckman the first year that he was play by play for the Tigers. Um, I just kind of thought that it was just a cool career to go into. I, I didn't necessarily have any aspirations of being on air, but I liked being, I liked the producer side of things. I liked the behind the scenes. I liked being able to track down the guests and get them for the shows. And I thought um, that would be kind of a cool career and um, so that kind of uh, made my decision for me. And again, it was something that wasn't a nine to five. It was something that was kind of uh, unique and different. And I thought if I got into sports radio, it would give me some access to cover games, which I right. loved because I loved going to the games. So I thought it would be cool to, you know, cover the games for a living. So. Now, did you do any work at Wayne State University that are stations, or talk about? Did you? I didn't a, do anything at Wayne State. Um, nothing for for any of their, any of their stuff. Uh, it was mostly just interning at um, at WJR, and then after I graduated, I got a uh, my first radio job was at a small station in the Pontiac Bloomfield Hills area called <laughs> WPON. PON, which was a uh, it was pay for play. So it was, you come in, you give us $95, we get the first and last minute of each hour, and you talk about what you want for 58 minutes. And it was a great experience. It was all kinds of different shows. It was, you name it, a lot of foreign shows, a lot of, um, it was just, uh, just in, you know, weird kind of things, like uh, your land rights and a lot of psychic shows, and it was... But it was a cool it was a cool job and it was at a small little station and I stayed there for a year before I got my first job working at CBS in like 1996. Now before we go too further I, I do want to be honest with you I did reach out to our mutual friend Mike Parsons and uh yeah. and uh, he he wanted me to ask you uh about he he said that he wanted me to ask you about some of the weirdest or oddest shows that you ever had to run or produce. God. Yeah. Well, they all, they all, they all came out pretty much out of WPON. Um, like I said, uh, there was a, a lot of psychic shows, uh, which was, which were interesting. Um, 
We had a show on your land rights, um, a lot of foreign programming. Uh, there was a, 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 a sensei who did like a political show. Um, actually, uh, Tommy McIntyre, who you may remember from back in the WXYT days when they were a talk station, he was there. Uh, Dino Day, he was also there. Dino Day, there's a name from the past. Yeah. What was, it, C- what, was C- what was that station before it was uh, the fan? CXI? Oh, Wasn't CXI? May- yeah, maybe. Dino Day, uh, old school yeah. Detroit. Go on. So Yeah, so he... He um he was there for a little while. I worked with him for a little bit, but like I said, it was just a lot of justice pro se. Uh, there was a suburban whistleblower show. Just a lot of just eclectic, weird shows uh, that were just um, funny to run. At the same time, they were they were just nice. They were nice people. It was just you know it was just it was the it was just a whatever you could think of. They had a show about it. Whatever you think that you could talk about for an hour. They had it. I will share this with you along those lines. Uh, in 2000, I was working at a station called WKLA, and me and this guy, we were gonna we went on the air for 112 hours to break a Guinness record. Did and, you? Yeah, and so the reason I tell you that is because we, we, we produced it. took us all summer to produce because we did it over Labor Day weekend. We raised money for MDA. And so we, we had to produce this five days of broadcasting. We had to fill it with time. So one of the people that we reached out to was a guy who didn't write but rather published a book written by aliens. And I'm not kidding, Dave. When we interviewed, we interviewed him, it was, it was like, okay, we'll put him on at one in the morning. This will be great. He was very entertaining. We were just, we were so excited about this, have, have this guy on to tell us about his experience with these aliens and, and, and publishing their book that they had written. Well, when we got him on the air, he was so, it was like night and day. He must've been bipolar. So it became a thing where we would kind of poke fun at him where, where he couldn't hear us, but our listeners can, but it was just, it was a strange experience, and after we were just so disappointed because we were so excited about this guest. But there's some people who are really out there that believe in certain things, and sometimes they get airtime. So I'm sure it, those experiences were similar right. in those instances, you know? Yeah, I would say that there was, there was one guy that, that did a show. So apparently, according to this gentleman, um, there are levels of existence for humans. There's multiple levels of existence, and the only way to – attain to the next level of existence is you're blocked from, according to him, you're blocked from attaining this level because you have crystals in your body. Well, his job was to remove the crystals. Oh, now how, so he was important. Now how did you ask to remove the crystals? Well, he had literally told us that he had blue lasers that would come out of his fingers <laughs> and it would remove the crystals. And That's this funny. gentleman would charge $75 for a half hour and wow. $150 for an hour for a session to go and remove these crystals from your body to, to move to the next layer of existence for your, for yourself to get to the seventh layer of existence. So that was just one of the just eclectic weird guys that we ran into <laughs> at this station that did a show and it, okay, cool. All right. I mean, more, I mean, the guy made money somehow, so get more power to you. You know, that is too funny. Uh, all right, so tell me about how you came to work for uh, Glenn Hagee because you know that was another we, that's another thing we have in common. My very first job was answering phones for Joe Gannon, the appliance doctor. Really, and and so I'm fascinated. Like you worked for Glenn in that in that show for twenty some years. How did you get that gig? Because first it didn't it wasn't it was at JR for a while, but it was at other stations. Well, you kind of traveled. Right. Talk about how you, the the genesis of when you came to work for Glenn Hagee. So Glenn, I think Glenn started at WXYT back in like the early '80s. Like I was probably like, you know, 10 years old. So I got the job at CBS in 96 and I was part-time. And part of the job was they had these how-to weekends. And I was the, you know, screener for, it was the gardening show. Then it was back then, Ask the Handyman with Glenn Hagee. Then it was Money Talk with Rick Bloom. Well, um, Glenn had a producer at the time, but she had another job where she did some accounting and so at the end, the last Saturday of every month, the last weekend of every month, she had to do the books for her other job. So I would be filling in, you know, screening calls for the Ask the Handyman show. I got to know Glenn. I got to know Rob David, his producer, executive producer, and his board op at the time, Brian. And fast forward to like 97-ish, where Glenn was going to take his show syndicated to like, you know, across the country. 
And part of the deal was he was going to get a full-time producer. Well, the girl who was his producer at the time did not want the job and she left. And I kind of fell into it just because I had gotten to know those guys from screening, uh, you know, for all those months when she was at her other job. And um, I was like, okay, cool. Full-time job. I'd been there a year and I was also working with the Lions radio network because at the time WXYT at that point at the Lions And so um, I got the job and yeah, I mean, I worked with Glenn for like uh, from like 19, like late 1996, 97 to like 2017 when he passed away. So it's like 20, 21 years and it was a great job. It was great. I got to, you know, produce screen. I got to learn a lot about home improvement and uh, he was just a great guy to work with. Uh, He had a great team. The last 10 years of, the, of that, I worked for his company. He had a company uh, when he left CBS and went to, we went to DFN too. So that was cool. I got to work in sports. I got to cover stuff. That's cool. And then, but the last 10 years when he was, uh, had moved over to WJR, I worked for, um, for his company. Now, so it was totally by accident. I didn't, I did not know who Glenn Hagee was. I had no idea. Who any, what anything was about the the Ask the Handyman or what was later to be the Handyman show, it was a, uh, it was just lucky that I was uh, right place, right time. As you mentioned, you worked there for twenty years. Do you have some favorite moments producing that show? Yeah, you know, we got to do really cool. We got to do some cool things. Um, we I used to travel with him to the different uh, hardware and housewares shows. Um, Got to interview George Foreman about the Foreman Grill. We got to interview That's Deion cool. Sanders. He at one point had a primetime hot dog maker <laughs> one of the shows that he was trying to do. Um, you know, we got, I got to do a lot of cool things uh, working with Glenn. The, 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 the real cool thing, we even did a weekday show on um, a station that was affiliated with WDFN and Clear Channel at the time. It was WXDX. It was 13, 10 a.m. before it changed format. So for a while, we did a show during the week, which allowed us to talk about things that we didn't really talk about with the the Handyman show. He was more home improvement. We talked about other stuff like uh, cooking and, and, and other stuff that during the week, and that was pretty cool. But um, probably it just just I just got the opportunity to to just you know do a lot of things. That in addition to working with the handyman show, I also got to do a lot of other cool things that, you know, when we at the different stations that we were at, because I was allowed, even though I was working with Glenn, uh, I was also an employee of the station. So I got to do a lot of different things, but uh, I would say just traveling to the different shows were really cool with Glenn. Cause um, that guy, one thing about Glenn was, uh, he knew how to do things uh, the right way and uh, spared no expense. So when we traveled, it was it was first class all the way. But I would say one of the coolest things that I got to do, uh, we went to, I'm not sh- sure if you're familiar with the channel lock tools. Yes. That have the blue handles. So we got to travel to their headquarters via private jets. Only time in my life I got to fly during private for a private jet. Wow. We flew to uh, Pennsylvania. We got a tour of the whole um, facility where Channel Lock is made, and we each got a full set of Channel Lock tools to take back with us that I still have and I still That's use cool, today. Man. That's really so cool. That was probably the, the coolest thing was getting to travel on a private jet to go to Pennsylvania just for one day to go walk around the uh, the Channel Lock headquarters. You know, you mentioned that uh, you yeah, actually you guys did that show from DFN for a minute. I've interviewed uh, uh, Greg Henson, Art Vo- uh, Art Volo, Art Regner, um, yeah. Terry Foster, a couple others, and and specifically about, especially we just talked about the, the the renovations they did at JR. Everybody talks about the DFN studios like it was just a garage. Talk about what that was. Was it different than other studios and stations you worked at? Right. So I wasn't there at DFN when it was the garage. I was okay. at DFN from 2002 to 2007. We started out, there was there used to be a building across from Fox 2 in Southfield called North Park Plaza Building. We started out, that was where they moved from the garage to the North Park Plaza Building. So we started out in there. And then we moved to um, 12 Mile Halstead, which is where they currently are, but right. they're not, they're moving. They're moving to downtown Detroit. 
but they're currently at 12 and Halstead, which was the old A&W headquarters. And so we worked out of that building and that was very cool. That, that was probably the most fun I've had working in the radio business was working at WDFN for those, uh, from those five years. Cause just being around the sports guys, right? Yeah. In addition to working with Glenn, I also covered, I mean, I covered, I, I, I produced a NASCAR show with my friend, Rob Pasco called on the track. Um, I worked with Clarence black on his show and I got to cover uh, the Pistons, the Wings, the Tigers, the Lions. I covered Super Bowl 40 at Ford Field. Wow. Uh, 2006, when the Tigers made their run to the World Series, did that down at Comerica Park. It was just the, it was just the, the most fun living. I kind of always say that I was on Hagee Island <laughs> because I was, I was working with Glenn. That was my main job. But also I got to interact and work with all the sports guys and the, you know, the Sean Belegian, Stoney and Wojo, uh, Brandon Tierney, um, uh, you know, Terry Foster, Art Regner, uh, just, it was just, the, it was the best. I, uh, I really enjoyed the, those five years. It was just a lot of fun. You know, when you say the name Dave Rieger, you don't necessarily jump out and say sports. But another thing that I think is so unique about you, Dave, is you and your brother. You, your brother yeah. also works in broadcasting. In case yes. if you're not a sports fan, Dave's brother Jeff works at 97.1. I think he worked at the fan for a minute too. I don't think I don't I don't know of another pair of brothers that work in radio. Do you? Do people ever get you guys confused? <laughs> sometimes, sometimes they do. They, they sometimes they think that I'm Jeff. Uh, Jeff is. Uh, I got Jeff got into the business. He started out in Alma, and then he he, he lost that job. And I actually got him in at WXYT. Jeff never worked at DFN. And actually, before I left to go to WDFN, after I had gotten Jeff in at 97.1, we worked together on one Glenn Hagee show. One Glenn Hagee show, Jeff ran the board and I produced for the Handyman show one time. And that was the last time that, <laughs> we, did, that we did that. And then I moved on to DFN and he moved on to, 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 you know, advance his career to talk show host. He now does a show with, uh, with Wojo. He covers the wings. He covers the tigers. He's done a lot of stuff. He's doing very well. And he, he I remember he was, um, he was installing um, security cameras and he was just like, you know, and he, he went to Wayne state, but he, but he dropped out and he stopped and then he went and got, he went to Specs Howard. And that's how he got in to the, uh, into the business. He, he just kind of liked what I was doing and, you know, he's just, he's got the gift for gab. He always has ever since he was born and um, he does a great job as far as, um, as brothers in the business. I'm sure that there are family members that, you know, work, uh, you know, together or, or at different stations. Um, I personally don't know of any in this market, but I'm sure that around the country, there are family members that uh, work in the business, but yeah. Well, when you see him, tell him Donna Martin graduates. Um, hey, listen, well, is there any sure. brother? Is there any brotherly competition that goes on between you guys working? You know, not really. Um, we're in, kind of in two different. Uh, you know, when, when WJR had the Lions, you know, we would run into each other at like training camp and stuff like that. But um, I feel that it's 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 kind of made us closer. I feel that you know we we talk uh, about what goes on at each station. You know, um, we 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 just. You know, I, th I feel that, you know, it just is like um, when we were kids, we, we would fight constantly because we're only two and a half years apart. So um, we would we would battle on a daily basis. Now we, we talk to each other almost every day. And um, yeah, I wouldn't say there's any real competition. WGR's news talk station with a little with a, a sprinkle of sports with Michigan State. And uh, and his station is uh, all sports, but they have they have all the main teams now, uh, plus Michigan uh, sports as far as college. So, um, yeah, but we just, we know a lot of the same people. Right. I'll, I'll put it to you that way. Well, my, my question, my next question was going to be talk about some of the cool things you've gotten to do or the people you've gotten to meet because of your job in radio. And you mentioned sports and you've mentioned a couple of things you got to cover, but could you talk yeah. about maybe specific moments or maybe interviews that you were like, I can't believe this is happening. Um, I would say, uh, the first time that I, um, got to interview Tiger Woods covering the Buick open, at, at the, when they used to have it in Grand Blank, that was pretty cool. I was like, wow, this is Tiger Woods, and he was very cool. Uh, Shaquille O'Neal, 
uh, when he played for the Orlando Magic, uh, interviewed him. Um, but I would say um, my uh, – oh, and then, you know, uh, one thing that I also did that didn't really have to do with radio. Uh, so I, I, I worked for a little while at Mort Crim Communications in uh, corporate uh, videos and corporate television and um, got to uh, talk with Colin Powell at Barnes and Nobles in West Bloomfield. They were doing a video with him. So that was pretty cool. Uh, I would say when I did that, Wow! Um, but yeah, you know, you get to meet you get to meet a lot of, uh, you know, semi-famous people. I know, I remember one time, um, so our last name is Rieger and you're, I'm sure you're familiar with the TV show taxi. Yes. Okay. So Riga. So, right. So Judd Hirsch was a, was in studio with the Mark Scott program on WXYT when I worked there. And I was so excited to tell him because his, his character was Alex Rieger on the taxi. Right. And DeVito would say Rieger. And I went in and I was like, you know, hey, my last name is Rieger. He could not have cared less. He was not. <laughs> impressed. He, he didn't even care. I was so excited to tell him that my last That's name was Rieger. Funny. He could not have cared less. So he probably yeah. didn't even remember. He's probably done so many roles since then. He's like, you know, hey, probably, what are you talking about? But I thought, but I thought it was pretty cool. Oh, I think but, it's funny too. But no, but but he didn't care. He could have cared less. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, you know, we've got to meet. Um, you know, on my, as far as I'm concerned, it was mostly sports people that I got to talk with and um, different athletes. Um, my all-time favorite of all time, Chauncey Billups, though Chauncey Billups, because I'm a Denver Broncos fan that lives in Detroit and Chauncey Billups went to the university of Colorado, played for the nuggets. When I would talk to him during after Pistons games, after we were done with the interview, I would talk to him about Denver Broncos and it was so cool. He loved talking about it. And I talked with him many times. He was, it was my, it was my favorite thing to do was to interview him and then talk to him about Denver Broncos stuff. So, well, even if you were talking about the Broncos, did you ever get any backstage, uh, or stories from the Pistons days when they were winning that championship? You know, um, you know, there, there, there were some, there was some stuff that, you know, I, I don't think of anything that anybody that hasn't come out or that, that anything that's like, the one thing I will say is that um, Rashid Wallace knew that I had to get the tape that I was getting up to whoever was doing the post game show up in the uh, palace back in those days, we had to, I didn't have time to edit it. Right. I had to get the tape and take it right up. Well, he knew that. So by his locker, there was a giant speaker that you could put an iPod into. Okay. So that tells you about the, the kind of time it was the, you know, <laughs> well, what Chauncey would, what, what, what Rashid would do was he would turn it up to the full, full blast and he would play music that had words that I could not air and he would do it on purpose i think so a lot of times it was like tough to get stuff to use because every time that we would walk in there he would turn on this music and it would all be in the background of the stuff that i was of my interviews (laughs) (laughs) that was you know so that was a that was a hurdle that we had to uh sort of uh you know work with but uh that would probably be the only maybe inside information that I ever really, uh, that I really, really had. I, I didn't, I didn't cover every Pistons game. It was just, it was just kind of on occasion, you know, Pistons, Wings, Tigers. Well, um, and, and to that point, I want to ask you, beside I me, mean, the Lions had Billy Sims and then Barry Sanders. So that was kind yeah. of our Super Bowl era, but specifically yeah. about, you know, the, the late run, the, the mid to late nineties, even into the early 2000s, the Red Wings, all their mm-hmm. success. Uh, the Detroit yep. Tigers run at the 2006 World Series and again at 12. Uh, yep. And then, of course, you know, the Pistons with the bad boys uh, when we were, you know, kind of very young uh, broadcasters. And then later with the 05 or the 04 Pistons. I always yeah, want to say that 05. Was, yeah, that was my time was, yeah, the 04 Pistons was big, yeah. Well, that's what I was going to ask you is out of all those three different times, what was your favorite mm-hmm. and why? Oh, the 04 Pistons were my favorite. It was just, it was, it was incredible. Nobody expected them to do anything. And it was just, it was just so cool to, to go down to the, to the palace during those days. And it was, you know, um, the, the, the five game sweep, they called it against the Lakers. And it was just, uh, it was an incredible time. The Tigers was cool, but they didn't finish. 
The Red Wings at that time had already won and got their goal in 97 and 98, 2002, 2008, I think, was their last one. Um, and, the, and the Lions were the Lions. The Lions are the Lions. So, we, you know, although I, I have worked for that organization. I have worked with that organization on two separate occasions now. But, uh, but I did work with them during the 0-16 season, which was kind of interesting. But the 0-4 Pistons were definitely my favorite. And uh, T- uh, Rip and Tayshawn and uh, Chauncey was just uh, Larry, Larry, um, Larry, Larry, um, Larry Brown. What a nucleus they had. It was amazing. I mean, it was just, it was just, um, it was just fun. It was a great atmosphere. Um, the only bad part about covering the Pistons was getting to the palace and getting out of the palace. Of course, by the time I was done with everything, getting out of there was gone. But getting to the palace was the, was one of the biggest pains ever yeah. to, to to try to get into that place, as you know. But uh, that was my definitely that was my favorite though was the old four Pistons for sure. Talk to me about Joe Dumars. Did you ever get to interview him? And what was he like to deal with? I got to talk to Joe Dumars. Uh, you know, very soft spoken. Uh, but um, he was very, always very nice and very professional. And, you know, I think that Joe Dumars gets kind of a bad rap for how it all ended with the, with the Pistons. But um, it was, uh, you know, he was, he was always great to interview. You know, he, he put that team together. You know, people forget about that. People remember him for the Darko, the Darko pick and how the, the team kind of spiraled after the 2005 season, which they probably should have beat the Spurs too and gone back to back. Yeah, they should have. Opinion. But um, uh, yeah, Joe's great. You know, he was always, uh, always a nice guy to talk to and um, always was very accessible. You know, I will say this when, uh, when he first opened the Joe Dumars uh, field house in Shelby township, we were, we yeah. started, we were in a league, me and my buddies were in a league there. And I remember we were practicing one day and Joe was sitting on the sideline just watching us. And I was like, this is too freaking cool. Joe Dumars was watching us playing basketball. We were like, it was the coolest thing. But, you know, Joe yeah, Dumars we, has always been great. We used to play pickup basketball every once in a while at the JCC. Uh, and uh, Don Shane would show up and play with us every once in a while. Wow. That was kind of cool. I remember back uh, back in the day, he would he would show up and play with us. First time I saw I was surprised at how little Joe, John Shane was. He's just a little guy. First guy to ever yell at me. Really? Get, oh, you got to share that story, Dave. Get my mic flag out of his camera. Well, oh, remember, that was you. <laughs> you remember back in the day? So back in the day, in you know, radio stations would pay you extra money if you were able to get your mic flag yes, yes. on television or in a picture in the paper. So you would want your mic flag in there. Well, the TV guys hated that, and then you were in their shop. And I remember we were interviewing, it was the Orlando Magic were in town, we were interviewing Shaquille O'Neal, and he got into my face about my mic flag being in his shot when we were trying to interview Shaquille O'Neal. He was the first guy to ever just absolutely just get on me about my mic flag being in there. Now, you know, they said they don't even the anchors don't even go down. They, they send down, you know, their text. They, they have like, you know, nowadays you see radio people, you know, helping the TV guys hold the microphone right. and holding like six, seven, eight different uh, microphones at one time for these things. It's kind of weird that that happens, but that's not how it was. Yeah. But back in the day, if you got your mic, if the radio station wanted to get those letters, in a, in the paper or on television. Who was uh are you still there? Oh yeah. Oh, who uh who was the fir- the best interview uh, the best to interview and who was the worst person to interview? Who just gave you fits? Um as far as uh, sports was concerned? Yeah. Or just uh as far as Or, or in was- general, however you want to answer it, Dave. I would say that um the hockey, any hockey player was the greatest person to interview. Anytime I ever did anything with the Red Wings, it was great. Whether it was during the game, I covered a lot of Red Wings golf outings uh, to talk to them that they had used to have at Indian Wood. Uh, hockey players were always the, the best. The worst football players, especially during the night, the the two thousand eight was it zero sixteen oh. team. The Lions went zero sixteen. Yeah. I remember Dre Bly told the defense, don't talk to us. Don't talk to the media. So nobody on the defense would talk to us that whole year. Like it's your fault that they're losing. Exactly. And it was the, the football players were always, they were always the worst. They were always the toughest, the, the most difficult to deal with was the hockey players, the greatest uh, football players were the worst. 
One of the coolest stories I heard last week on this podcast, I had Damon the Dog Perry, and he was oh, yeah. telling me a story. What's that? I've worked with Damon, yeah. Great guy. He was telling me a story about when uh, when uh, Greg Henson hired him to be the morning guy at DFN, and he introduced him to Joe Eiserman, and Joe Eiserman was you know, sharpening his skates, and he looked up. He goes, oh, so you're the new morning man over there. He said, yeah. He goes, whatever you do, don't buy a house. It was just it was sense of he was that just amplifies. I mean, those those hockey players. I've heard stories and stories that they're just so fun to deal with. Yeah, the hockey player. Yeah, they were great. Um, yeah, you know when I worked when I started at DFN was just as Greg Henson was leaving. I literally, I think I worked with Greg for like like a week and a half, and then he left, and then Rona Rona Danziger became the new PD there. So I didn't get to uh, really work with uh, with Greg that much. Only only rejection letter I ever got was from Greg Henson. I applied to be a reporter at the fan and I got a rejection letter. But Me too. You, usually, Me too. Really? He gave you one too? I because usually it. they like they don't even call you, they don't even bother you. But no, Greg sent I us got a letter. a letter when when DFN was uh, Salem, I think owned by Salem Broadcasting at the time. I had the letter saved. I, it was the only rejection letter. I that saved I ever it got. too. We're stupid. <laughs> I have all these letters, like because it was like that was like I have all these letters from like when I was an intern at WJR, I had, when I left, I had all the reporters and all the anchors write me uh, recommendation letters. And the only one that I ever got uh, was, well, I, there was, there was, there was one that was Greg Henson. That was, I'm um, sorry, we'll keep your, we'll keep your stuff on file. And then the other one was I had applied when I was in college to do an internship at Fox two and they didn't get enough applicants. So the program, the internship got canceled. So I got a letter that said that um, I, it, it was canceled. That's but funny. the only real rejection letter was the one from Greg Henson. That's hilarious. That is cool. Um, he, um, I wanted to move on to WJR. That's where you've been for the last four years. Talk to me about how 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 you came to work at JR, and then how have your duties changed in the last four years? So yeah, so when Glenn got sick, um, we knew that we uh, weren't going to keep the the show going. So Rob David, uh, Glenn's executive producer and the owner of Glenn's network, a handyman productions, uh, was very instrumental in getting me in at, uh, WJR. Um, at the time the, uh, program director was Kevin Matheny, um, who you might recognize from uh, the Howard Stern show movies. Yeah. He was pig vomit, pig virus, whatever. Yeah. Pig vomit he was the program director there. And I was hired in uh, as a, a board operator uh, at that point after he left and went to San Francisco. Then Mike Wheeler was brought in. I left after really only about four months and got a job working with Adam Helfman over at uh, 97.1, he does a home improvement show and we were going to try to recreate what Glenn had had. Okay. That lasted about eight months. Then I returned back to WJR and, um, you know, I kind of do a lot of things at WJR. I, I run the board, I produce, I engineer remote broadcasts. I do traffic and weather. Um, uh, you name it, uh, I, I help out in the uh, in their MID department, which is their internet slash streaming um, department that they have. So it's it's for the last four years, it's kind of been wherever they need to plug me in, uh, I get plugged in at uh, at WJR, and uh, it's been cool because it's been it's it, you know I, I sometimes I work with the inside outside guys right. who took over for Glenn. And, and I do work with Joe Gannon occasionally, who I know from working with Glenn. And uh, so it's a little bit of home improvement. It's a little bit of sports. I worked with the Lions uh, when, when we had the Lions, which, which we don't have anymore. Uh, we, I do a little bit with Michigan State. But, but it's been mostly news talk. And it's been a, a change of, um, you know, someone who never really followed news to I'm looking at news stories every day and I've never had more politicians, governors or political pundits in my cell phone ever. Right. That yeah. I may that I may need to call upon to be a guest um uh for the for, for whatever show that I might fill in. 
Yeah, no, I remember some of my favorite moments were conversations I had with Jennifer Granholm when she was governor. I was just, it was just, it's the coolest thing to be able to be in the know with these folks. But I want to ask you specifically, you mentioned Joe Gannon, which I love that guy. Uh, but, yeah. you know, you worked with some amazing Frank Beckman we just lost. You worked with him. Uh, mm-hmm. Obviously, Mitch Album, you worked with. He works over there. Guy Gordon's awesome. But talk, there's a lot of other people you wouldn't think of. Kevin O'Neill has worked there on the Mitch Album show. And then, of course, right. Donald Schuster works with uh, Joe Gannon. Talk to me about some of these big names that are, I mean, historic in broadcasting. It's got to be a I, thrill, right? You know, um, you know I, 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 were, I interned with Mitch for a little while, and uh, and I've since worked with, with his show a little bit. Kevin O'Neill's fantastic. That, that guy is had more radio jobs than Yeah, if you don't know the name, you he was one of the best uh Casey Kasem uh impersonators. Oh, yeah. Yeah, but yeah, I go mean, ahead. He's, he's incredible. Awesome. Uh Joe Gannon's great. He's been around forever. Um I knew I knew Joe because Glenn was the guy who who kind of gave Joe his start. Um Glenn published Joe's first book. Yes. I mean, we we had we had in the back room of Glenn's office, you know, uh, Don Schuster works with Joe. Um, I worked with Don. He was a sales guy and he handled a lot of the, the home shows when Glenn was around. And now he's Joe's like co-host, the producer, um, for the show. He's, he's a, he's a good guy who's got a, a radio background himself. He did a lot of DJing, uh, uh back early in his career. Yeah. I think he was a PD of W4 for a while. If I'm not yeah, mistaken. He's a, he's a, he's a good dude. Uh, one of the newest guys that I work with now uh, the one show that I do produce on Saturday mornings called the great Michigan weekend, uh, which is hosted by Steve Courtney. But then this name who was huge back in the business, Jim Harper. Yeah. Yes. Jim Harper back on JR. Yes. Well, not back on, but on WNIC, JR now. Cool. WNIC days. And so I work with Jim and Steve and uh, I produce that show that's on Saturday mornings. And that is pretty cool. Jim Harper has been around for forever. I mean, you know. Yeah, I, you know, I just saw I, one of those YouTube uh, old school '90s commercials where they were doing an advertisement for Harper and the Gan- Harper and Gannon. Yeah, I yeah. mean, you know, so um, worked with obviously with Frank. Um, I loved Frank. Frank was great. Uh, you know, I worked with a lot of cool news guys back in the old JR days, like Dan Streeter, Michael Barr. Um, you know. There was, uh, let's see. The, I have to stop uh, you there. I have, I have, I kind of owe my WGR existence to, to Michael Barr because Michael Barr uh, started dating uh, this young lady, and I can't remember her name, but she was Joe Gannon's assistant producer. And so, because they started dating, she had to leave. It was a conflict. She couldn't work. So that's how I got the gig there because she had to leave that post. Really? And then I got to know Michael a little bit uh, later on, and he, I think he went on to ABC News. But yeah, yeah. another great he, guy. Yeah, he's in New York. He was great. Um, you know, uh, you know, Gene Fogel also has been around forever oh too. Oh my gosh! But yeah, he was my he was my he was the he was my advisor when I was an intern there. Uh, Gene was, and um, you know, just uh, Joel Alexander who who did the who did the the news center, and he was the traffic copter guy. And um, don't forget Dick Havner. And Dick Hafner, of course, you know, Dick was, uh, I have a, you know, Dick was great. Dick's still around. He does, he does the health watch reports. He comes in every once in a while. I see Dick. He's retired now. Um, great guy. Dick sent me to my first real, my first real news thing that I ever covered was the G8 summit at Cobo Hall back in the day. I oh, still wow. have, that's cool. The, I still have the phone card that I never used. They gave me a phone card and they gave me a pass to get on the people mover. And that was, and that's what I had. And I covered the G eight summit and Dick sent me on that uh, thing to cover when I was an intern. And wow. uh, yeah, I still have um, like my press credential and, and stuff like that. It was, and that was, and that was Dick Hafner who sent me on that. And uh, Dick has sent me on a lot of stories, but my favorite was when he sent me to the auto show during uh, media week. And I can't remember what year it was. I want to say maybe 05, 06. Anyway, uh, they had a bunch of bulls right in front of Kobo there just uh, advertising the the new Ram truck, I think it was, or one of those trucks. But it was just to see all that, all those steers out in front of 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 Kobo Hall was quite extraordinary. And I don't think it's it's been seen since. But imagine thousands of bulls just going up and down the streets of downtown Detroit. It's quite it, – but, yeah, that was probably my favorite – Favorite story yeah. Dick ever sent me I just, to. I remember um, covering Thanksgiving Day Parade with Michael Barr, and my job was to hold up. Back then, they had this—I think it was called a Marty unit—and it was yeah. this giant, this giant stick, 
that you had to, you had a, like I had a harness and I had to walk with this thing and it was me and I was walking next to Michael Barr and then the grand marshal of the parade was Mario Andretti and he was in an Indy car. Wow. And we're, going down, we're going down Woodward, walking down the parade route and I'm, I'm holding on to this giant stick so Michael Barr could do his reports, <laughs> walking alongside Mario Andretti in this Indy car going down Woodward. I mean, that's awesome. You know, that, that, that's that's old school back in the day you don't they don't i mean the stuff that they can do today now is just it, it, you can do stuff with with your phone it's yeah. just incredible you know all right well you have to i couldn't i can't uh wrap the show up without tell me about your podcast whatever dave what is it about and how did this come to be so this is a mike parsons creation um whatever dave and what it essentially is is so I like looking up weird and interesting stories. I just, I find it fascinating to, to find stuff. And so when I would work with Mike and Rich, Rich Lazinski, who does traffic at the station, uh, I would tell them these things. I would be like, hey, did you guys hear about this? Uh, this is so cool. And they would look at me, they're like, whatever. They, they didn't care. They, they, thought, <laughs> they thought it was stupid. They thought I was an idiot. And then, so Mike Parsons got this idea for this podcast where I would just, you know, bring up these stories and they would, I would play the straight man and they would just, just spend time ripping on me. Like, why are you bringing this up? Nobody cares. You know, it's stupid, you know? Well, I've caught a couple of them and they're very entertaining, but do you, are you putting thought into this now or now that you're doing a podcast regularly or what's, what's your your responsibility is just to bring ideas. So now we've kind of, we filled in for Mitch album one time. We, we actually did a whatever Dave on the air for Mitch. Uh, it was right around the holidays at the end of last year. And that went pretty well, but we had to kind of change it a little. We had to kind of make it topical. Well, now whatever Dave is now going to be put up on the great which is that's awesome. ARs platform for podcasts. So we are going to actually record our first whatever Dave 2.0, if you will, tonight at the nice. radio station. And it's going to be a little different now. It's going to be a little bit more topical. It's still going to have the whatever day flair. Like I just, before I came on to talk with you, I was looking up stories that I found for tonight's uh, broadcast. But so it's going to be a little different. We haven't, I don't know if it's kind of going to be a work in progress uh, to get it to where I think that Mike wants it. But Mike is the brains behind it. My role is literally just, playing the straight man and bringing uh, and bringing the weird stories to the table. And then Mike and Rich kind of uh, play off each other very well and just basically, you know, make fun of me. But um, yeah, it's fun. It's, 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 um, it's kind of, we, we, and we, we used to do it for long. We used to do it for like 45 to an hour. We've cut it down. now. Usually it goes about a half hour now. So. Yeah, I'm trying to keep these podcasts. I've had podcasts as long as I think when I talked to Dennis Frawley, it went almost three hours and I had to cut it into two parts. Now I'm just trying to keep it with under an hour because, you know, I find that people's right. attention span just don't last that long. Yeah. Um, so what what is your favorite part uh, now that it's being taken a little bit more seriously? You're getting some airtime on JR's website. I mean, are you uh, what's your thoughts on how this developed? It's got to be cool because you started yeah, as just kind of a silly idea. And now it's, now it it's was. something. It- I, I got to be honest with you. Um, I, I, I kind of, I, I don't think I've come to grips with the fact that <laughs> this little silly podcast that Mike came up with now has us, we, we got to fill in on Mitch album show. Mike, Mike Wheeler, the program director thought that it was good enough that we could do it on the air. And uh, now they're putting it up on their platform. Um, so yeah, it's going to, it's going to, it's going to go through a change. I don't know what that change is yet, to be honest with you. I know we're going to be doing it on a weekly basis. We were doing it before like once a month or once every month and a half. Now it's every week we're going to have to put out content and yeah. make sure. And I'm sure it's going to evolve. And I'm sure that Mike has a lot of ideas. Again, this is his little brainchild. This is his. <laughs> he um, he runs the show. He he came up with all the, the production value that we have with it. Um, it, it, it's been all him. So moving forward is pretty cool. I, I don't know how it's going to change or if my role is going to change that will involve more things. 
Um, but, well, I have uh, a suggestion, Dave, because now it's going to yeah. be visual. I'm suggesting you need to get some kind of unique sunglasses or some kind of look. I, I go out and get those old Elvis sunglasses. Maybe that'll be. But just so you got to have some kind of you got to create yeah. an image now. It's visual. It's not just audio yeah. anymore. <laughs> yeah, and we've been doing it. We've been doing it on Streamyard for for a while now. So you do see us, and uh, and Mike has also. Mike and Rich are also in charge of the, I don't know if you follow the WJR Off-Air TikTok uh, yes, channel that yes. created. Yeah, so, it, it doesn't matter. Yeah, I've seen them. <laughs> exactly. So, we, so there has, I think Whatever Dave did show up on one of the TikToks they did. So that's probably a good idea. Um, I do have some uh, some old uh, some old school Oakleys that maybe I could wear that have the mirrored <laughs> look that like, they were like you see on the World Series of Poker. So uh, there you maybe, go. I, maybe I could do that. The only problem is is that it, they are polarized, so it might make it a little <laughs> hard to read the copy. That's the only issue that I might run into uh, wearing that. So uh, I may have to um, figure out something. I'll, I'll mention it to Mike and see what he comes up with. He's usually yeah, – Send it up uh, the flagpole. I'd, be, I'd like to be able to know I contributed yeah. in some way, just be a part, yeah, small we'll, part of we'll that show. Give you, we'll definitely give you credit for that. I for appreciate sure. that. So I, I, a couple of final things. First off, I, I want to ask you specifically about terrestrial radio. Obviously, when we were coming up, it was – a it was an integral part of our everyday lives. Um, you know, it's been, it, it hasn't been what it once was, but overall, uh, what is your opinion of terrestrial radio in general in 2022? Um, ah, God, you know, it's, it's tough. It's, it's changed so much. There are so many different options now to listening to when I tell people, you know, you work at, you work at, you work where? AM radio? What? That makes me sad because of the history of JR. It's, it's crazy. You know, um, you know, podcasting, a, a Sirius XM, uh, you know, um, I, I'll put it to you this way. My brother, Jeff, drives a Tesla, okay? Um, he can't get AM radio in the Tesla. Are it's you not kidding off. me? Can't get, the only, he, only can, he only can get FM. He can't even get satellite. They haven't figured it out yet. Wow. He, if he wants to listen to, to anything like AM or uh, satellite, he's got to do it through his phone and through an app. The only thing they offer in there is an FM. So I think that tells you right then and there what what's going on with. Um, but I think that terrestrial radio still has its place. I think there are people that still go to terrestrial radio for news. But even that is, you know, with, with everything that you get on your phone these days and where it's kind of like the news cycle now, people... Like, where do you go for your news? If something breaks, where's the first place you go? Your phone. I know. And, and I know I go to Twitter or I go to Instagram, or, you know. But you're using a digital media device, not right. necessarily the radio. And those, yeah. And, right. And, 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 you know, but, and that is, uh, and that's, um, and that's changed. But um, I still think terrestrial radio still has its place. I don't necessarily know what that place is. But I, but I, and I, and I know I'm not really answering the question because I guess I really don't have an answer. I guess, I guess that it, it has its place, but I'm not sure where it, where that place is, if that makes any sense. Oh, I think you answered that marvelously. I think that there's so many choices and it's just hard to, but at the end of the day, it still has its place. I mean, Art Volo's told me many times when the grid goes down, what are you going to have? Terrestrial that's radio true. with batteries. That's all, and that's the only that, place you're going to get information. And that is true. And that's, please, let's, let's hope the grid does not. Yeah. <laughs> That would be a nightmare. I, I remember that day too. No, that was not good. <laughs> well, we know you have uh, more episodes of whatever, Dave. But other than that, what's next for Dave Rieger? You know, um, uh, we've got uh, you know, like I said, working on the Great Michigan Weekend uh, on Saturdays. Uh, our, our podcast. Um, I also am working um, with another uh, coworker um, on a um, online gaming podcast that we're trying to get started. So look for that. Cause I'm very interested in, in online gaming uh, when it comes to sports betting. So look for that. And um, just, um, you know, hoping to, uh, to continue to continue to grow with WJR, um, you know, hopefully uh, maybe expanding my role at some point uh, to whatever uh, may come in the future. Um, right now uh, to have been working in this business for as long as I have is pretty, uh, it's pretty rare. I mean, I've been working in radio since like 1995. So, and it sounds like you've enjoyed the journey to be sure. It's been fun. Uh, it's been, uh, 
you know, something that, uh, like I said at the beginning, it, it hasn't been your nine to five, you know, sitting at a desk. It's been, um, you know, covering unique things and, and getting to meet unique people. Because as you know, working in the radio business, we're all a little weird. Yes, sir. So you do meet some interesting people along the way. And, um, you know, uh, I'm not ready to, uh, you know, to call it uh, a career anytime soon. So we'll see what the future holds, uh, whether it's in terrestrial radio, whether it's in podcasting, whether it's in video like StreamYard. That's or, the next big thing I think is video streaming for sure. You know, streaming or or whether it's in satellite, whatever, um, you know, you never know where. If there's one thing I've learned, um, you know, you, you never know where your future is going to be on the next day because um, a lot of the things that I've kind of uh, fell into by accident. So. Well, I can attest to that. Last week, I had Damon Perry on telling about his story. We talked about Greg Henson, and yesterday I saw on Facebook, Greg brought him in to do some sports talk in Virginia at his station yeah. he's running now. So you yeah. never know what's going to happen tomorrow. Yeah. Never close the door. Like, he's been working like at a like at a place in Northville, like like with suits and stuff. Yeah, I've seen yeah, just videos. Yeah. So. <laughs> well, you, you never know. Yeah. One other thing about working in radio is you always got to have a side hustle too, or a side gig. <laughs> Ain't so. that the truth? Yeah. Dave, thank you so much for coming on and sharing your story. Much appreciated, my friend. Yeah, Ron, it's good talking to you, man. As we wrap up, I want to thank you for tuning in, and please share this podcast with your friends. Also, again, thanks to Mr. Dave Rieger. Today's show is produced by Ron Robinson Studios. If you need professional marketing videos or professional photography headshots, maybe you need drone footage from a licensed drone pilot, Head over to ronrobinsonstudios.com. While you're there, you can also hear previous episodes of this podcast there as well. In addition, if you want to learn more about my upcoming documentary about the history of radio, that also can be found at ronrobinsonstudios.com. Tune in next week. I'll have another episode for you of Radio Days, the podcast. Until then. You can't go. All the plants are going to die.